I'd like to talk to you for just a few moments about hope for the new year. And if you're watching us online, we have been in a series this year called Hope is Here. And I want to wrap up on this last Sunday of the year with one final thought of hope for the new year. Hope is something that we as Christians believe is not wishful thinking. Hope is that that is built upon the character of God and the promises of God. When we say God is good, we're saying that God is good all the time. It is the nature of God to be good and to be loving. And when we quote the promises of God, we're quoting those with such passion and such confidence that we live with conviction that God always keeps his word. I have found that whatever promises I have laid hold of from the word of God, God always keeps up his end of the bargain, whether or not I always live up as faithfully to my end as he does. We've looked at how that hope is not wishing, but hope is actually living based upon those promises. And so we've talked about the fact that one day as Christ first came, Christ will come again. And when Christ comes again, there will be no more hunger, there will be no more pain, there will be no more death, there will be no more sorrow or suffering. The graves will empty, the dead in Christ will rise, and we which are alive and remain, we shall be caught up in the Lord to meet the Lord forever. Can you give him a hand of praise for that this morning? <laughs> Hallelujah. We've looked at hope for our families, and I read your scriptures this morning, and I will read you more that talks about hope for your family, for both your children and your grandchildren, that we build our marriages and we build our families upon. We've looked at hope for our community and how that as a church, that we're a river of life flowing in. For some people, they receive like the Dead Sea, and it dies with them, but with others, they receive the gift of life and the word of life, and they're blessed by it. We looked at the fact that how some who think they already know enough or they, they're righteous enough, they're like the Pharisees and they're more like dead seas than there are living waters. But the church continues to flow because the Holy Spirit flows through us. We're not a church in name only. We're a church inhabited by the living Lord Jesus Christ himself. And the Holy Spirit manifests himself through signs and wonders and gifts. Just a few moments before I walked out of my home this morning, one of our friends passed away. Before we went to sleep last night, when we went upstairs and got into bed, Becky looked over at me and she said, honey, I am so sorrowful for all of our friends who are grieving this year during Christmas and this is the first Christmas they've ever spent alone. And so last night, we had another friend who worships with us during our Christmas Eve services, who from time to time has been here with us at our church, and such a sweet and precious woman went into the presence of God, leaving a family that is grieving this morning. But we know because of her faith in Christ where she's at today. And so we're not only hope for a church, we're hope for families, but we're hope for individuals as well. And then we looked at Last night, how hope is born, or Christmas Eve night, and why our hope is built upon Jesus and Jesus alone. So this morning, I want to take you to a familiar passage in the Old Testament. And you'd say, but the Old Testament, I want you to see how this was fulfilled over and over again in the new. From 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 18, Samuel, though he was only a boy, served the Lord. He wore a linen garment like that of a priest. 
And each year his mother made him a small coat and brought it to him when she came with her husband for the sacrifice. Before they returned home, Eli would bless, Eli was the high priest, would bless Elkaniah and his wife and say, may the Lord give you other children to take the place of this one she gave to the Lord. Verse 26, meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew taller and grew in favor with the Lord and with his people. Years ago, when Becky and I hadn't had any children yet, I was reading a book by Dr. Cho, Paul Youngie Cho, the pastor of the world's largest church. I would later go on and have the privilege of meeting Dr. Cho and having about a 15-minute private conversation with him. That conversation with Dr. Cho totally changed my life, my trajectory, how I prayed, and how I believed. For in just a few minutes, he was able to pull some loose ends together for me. If you've ever looked at the back of a tapestry, as many others have noted, you've seen how that the back of the tapestry is just a collection of knots and confusion, and the front of the tapestry is such a beautiful piece of art. I was living looking at the back of the tapestry and not at the work of art that God was creating. And I shared my frustrations with Dr. Cho and his wisdom and the anointing that God had placed upon his life. He was able to pull all that together and turn that around for me and help me to see what God was doing. Dr. Cho also taught me that every year you should choose a word. You should choose a word that you're praying over that new year. This year I have been praying throughout the month of December for us as a congregation. What is that word again for us? In times past it has been the word persevere. In times past it's been the word fruitfulness. But this year, the Lord is clearly, clearly laid upon my heart. And I say that with fear and reverence and trembling. You never hear me say the Lord told me or the Lord made it so clear to me. But I know this year he's made it so clear to me. The word is faithfulness. And in 2022, we're going to be looking at God's faithfulness in our time and our talent and our treasure and our testimony or the story of our lives. We're going to be looking at how God is faithful to us and how we live out that faithfulness to him. Becky and I were praying one night because we had been through the tests, we had gone through everything, and we were not able to have children. And I remember my, my godly, beautiful wife looking at me with tears flowing out of her eyes one day and, and saying, how is it that so many can abort their children? How is it that so many who will not raise them before the Lord, why is God denying us a child? Why can't we have children? And I couldn't answer her question. And so we did what I would always encourage you to do when you don't have a question that you can answer. We went to the Lord in prayer, and we began to fast intensely and pray deeply. And as we fasted and as we prayed one night, we were in church and we were praying, and we were on this side of the church, so to speak. We were on this side of the church, and suddenly we heard someone across the way praying from the scriptures, and, and they prayed these verses that God would make us the happy parents of children. God would make us the happy parents of grandchildren. Now, they weren't praying for Becky and I, but they were just praying, as I've taught you, verses back into the Lord, and as they prayed that I lifted my head, my wife beside me, and she lifted her head and looked at me and smiled, and we knew we had our answer from God. 
And it would be years later before we saw that answer, but we never, never gave up on that promise from God. And friends, as I stand here before you this morning, I tell you there is great power in never giving up on God. God is not obligated to my timetable. God is not obligated to the way I want things to do. God will always do what is best for his glory and what is good for you and me. Now let's give him a hand of praise. That's how we live our lives. So on that night years ago when we rolled out of bed, when Becky woke me up, because sometimes I don't even think Jesus can wake me up in the middle of the night, Becky woke me up and she said, honey, God is trying to get a child to us. And so I rolled out of bed with her and we prayed and it wasn't long before God had answered that prayer. Here are some lessons that I take from 1 Samuel, not from my experience, but 1 Samuel has taught me in my experience. Let me make that clear, lest you think these are somehow another sentimental sentiments of a pastor who just dedicated his grandson. These are lessons I've learned and lived as a parent, as a father, as a pastor for almost 50 years now, that I have lived serving God's people. I began preaching 50 years ago next month, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so these I, these I leave with you this morning for hope for your new year. Number one, my children belong to God. You know, it's not my investments, and it's not my savings, and it's not the things that I've accumulated that mean anything to me. I am grateful for that. But if you want to know what adds meaning, if you want to know where my treasures are this morning, my treasures are in the truest things that God has given me, grace, salvation, my wife, my children, my grandchildren, you as his congregation. It's a true statement that your heart will always flow to where your treasure goes. Let me say that again. Your heart will always flow to where your treasure goes. And where your treasure is, there will your heart be also, Jesus said. And I think I speak for everyone in this room and for everyone watching online this morning. Truly, our greatest treasures outside of, of Jesus Christ this morning are the families that God has given to us, are the families of faith that we worship with. So the children God has given me, they belong to him. It's a principle of stewardship. It's a principle that the Lord gives, the Lord blesses, sometimes even the Lord takes away. In 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 19, El Elkaniah was the husband of, of his wife, Hannah. And when Elkaniah, and I love the fact that the Bible doesn't leave anything beautiful out of this, but when Elkaniah and Hannah came together in that act of intimacy, when they came together in that act of love, not of lust, not of passion, but that act of intimacy that God blesses a married couple with, that we steward for his glory and honor. When Elkaniah slept with Hannah, the Lord remembered her plea, and in due time she gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel, for she said, I asked the Lord for him. You see, once Hannah had been in church praying, and as she prayed, she was praying so intensely, and she was sobbing so that the priest or the pastor, Eli, thought that she was drunk, and he rebuked her for her passionate prayer, and she called him. She says, oh, I'm not drunk, but my heart is broken. 
Her heart was broken not because she wasn't loved. The Bible makes it very, very clear in the scriptures that she was loved by her husband. The Bible makes it very clear that he doubly blessed her. He did everything for her, but there was something he could not do for her. He could not open her womb. He could not give her the children that she wanted. And so she went to him, the giver and the creator of all life, and unashamedly she called out to God the way I encourage you to come to the altar, to join with us on Saturdays, and it's amazing. The more people pray, it seems like the more miracles happen. The less people pray, the less miracles happen. But Elkaniah, as he, 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 and he slept together, God was also trusting Elkaniah because it was the father, according to the old covenant law, that was to raise the children in the way they go. The father that was to teach them in the way that they should go. So it was not just that God was answering the prayer of Hannah, but God was giving to him the authority, the responsibility for security, and the responsibility for teaching. In those days, Hannah wouldn't have gone out to work at a Ford or a Sears or someplace like that. She would have been home caring for her family and her children. But God is faithful because when Hannah prayed this prayer, she also said, Lord, I will give this child to you. I will present him to you. And she kept her word at five years old. And I know that's a little difficult for us to understand, but children were not usually weaned till about fully weaned until about five years old. She took and she gave her child to Eli the priest to raise. What an awful promise to keep. Years ago, I prayed with a family who conceived a child. They conceived a child. I dedicated the child to the Lord. Later, the child became sick, and I stood there with the family when the doctor came in and offered to excuse myself, and he said, no, pastor, you need to remain. And I listened as that doctor told them their child had less than three months to live. He left, and we grieved, and we mourned, and that child still asleep from the sedation of the surgery. We all just laid our hands, hands and our heads upon his little body, and we prayed for him. Years later, that child would grow up. God healed him and did a miracle on him, and then one day, the Lord called him to preach the gospel. He came to see me so excited. The Lord had called him to preach. Of this he was confident. He shared with his parents the Lord had called him to preach. And his mother, who worked for a ministry supporting pastors, came into my office one day, and she slammed her hand upon my desk, and she says, I promise you, my child will never become a preacher. And I couldn't believe the words I was saying, hearing coming from this woman that I knew and I loved and I pastored and I'd seen God work in the life of her child. He got the finest education. He got a good job. He married a girl that broke their parents' hearts. He broke his parents' heart. And then one day, way too young, God called him home. And oftentimes I've thought it wasn't the judgment of God. But that boy never achieved what God had called him to do because a mother was afraid to give her son back to the Lord. You must understand something if you won't hope for this new year. Your children do not belong to you. They belong to God's. 
God has entrusted us with them. God has entrusted their security. God has entrusted authority to us. But God has trust, entrusted an example to us. We are stewards. Nothing that we call our own belongs to us. It all belongs to God. And when, and when Hannah and Elkaniah gave their child back to the Lord, God didn't kill Samuel, but God would use Samuel and raise Samuel up as one of the greatest judges and princes in all of Israel's history. But God also blessed him with other children. Remember this, you will never outgive God. You will never outgive God. And as they gave to God, God gave back to them. The second thing I'd like you to see is that God controls the future. God controls the future. The story of, of Samuel is a beautiful story, but the story ends rather quickly for a lengthy period of history. And during that period of history, there the Philistines are mustering their troops on the border of Israel. The Philistines are preparing for war. The Philistines are preparing for battle. They're preparing for invasion. And they will invade Israel. They will come. And, and, and Eli's sons, who, who should have been serving the Lord, but they were not serving the Lord, Eli's sons did something very foolish they put their trust in a symbol rather than put their trust in God. The Bible tells us in 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 12 that the sons of Eli were scoundrels who had no respect for the Lord. Now, it was unlike in this day. If I could call each of my three sons to ministry, I would. If I could call my daughter to ministry, I would. If I could say to each of my three children, I want you to be pastors, I can imagine no greater life for them than being a pastor. But being a pastor is a sovereign call of God. It's not something that you choose to do. God calls you to do. And so I've never influenced my children, nor did our parents ever influence us towards ministry. But the one thing we've always taught them is that God controls the future. Eli's sons, they helped themselves to the offerings of the Lord as they stole from God. They helped themselves to the young women as they raped young women who served at the house of God. We've heard these stories over and over through history. You've heard them. It is what happens when people somehow or another have a form of religion, but they deny the power thereof. And sometimes even in the community, people may look at all the things that are happening in religious circles. I know because they talk to me. And they tell me these stories of corrupt preachers or corrupt ministries or corrupt organizations. You see, when people put their trust in symbols and not in the living God, they always go wrong. And so when the Philistines invaded Israel, kind of like the Russians are mustering on the borders of Ukraine, no one is fooled by the talk of, of the Putins when he talks about they have no plans for war. You don't muster all those troops on the border of a country that you've already invaded once without planning to invade the breadbasket of Europe again. And so as the, as the Philistines invaded these men who had no relationship with God, but they held a position in Israel, they did something so foolish. They went to the tabernacle and they grabbed the Ark of the Covenant and they thought, surely the Ark will protect us. And as they carried the Ark into battle, the Philistines defeated them. They captured the Ark of the Covenant and they carried it away to enemy territory. Look at me for just a moment. Listen to me closely online. 
for I feel as though I'm speaking with the wind of God in my sails this morning. Don't ever think when it looks like God is failing that God is not in control. If the church fails, if religious symbols fail, God is still in control. For the Bible tells us the stories. They put that ark in the temple of their god, Dagon. Every morning they would come in. Dagon had fallen until finally Dagon broke into pieces. And they realized then there was something to this ark of the covenant. It was more than a symbol. So they sent it back to Israel. Well, then it scared the Israelis so bad they didn't know what to do with it. So one family kept it on their farm. They were afraid to have it. But the whole time the ark was there, God blessed them because God is in control and I want you to hear me this morning because we're in COVID because we're seeing a rise again don't you think for one moment that God is not at work in America and God is not at work in the world today there is a worldwide revival that is coming God keeps his promises hallelujah you say pastor how do you know because we trust the character of god we trust the promises of god and the goodnesses of god when it looked its bleakest in israel and rome had invaded and everybody was under the heel of the roman government it was to two peasants that god entrusted the child jesus you see when times are the bleakest that's when God's glory begins to emerge. I love that Christmas song. We don't sing it here, but in the bleak midwinter, every day from now until spring will get longer and longer and warmer and warmer. Can somebody say, come on, victory? It's a sign for us. It reminds us this time of the year. The third thing I want you to see is that we grow together in Christ. We grow together. Surely that synagogue or that temple, that tabernacle was not perfect. That tabernacle was probably the last place. Now listen, listen carefully. That tabernacle was the last place that I wanted my children to go to. Through the years, I remember when Becky and I I preached this message at Woodland on Sunday night in January. Next month will be 24 years ago. I preached this message, Dennis and Becky look for a church. It was a message that I told the congregation then that I had written when Becky and I first went into district office where we would serve for 12 years. I wrote that message because for the first time we actually had to look for a church, a church that we could worship in. And we found ourselves not necessarily looking for the best children's ministry. We found ourselves not looking for the splashiest ministries. But we found our place where we, we've looked for a church where we felt like our family could grow together in Christ. One of the things that bothered us was there were so many stories of children being hurt. We had built a church with a day school. We had 156 children. One of the reasons that we always ran at capacity was because there were five colleges in our hometown. They trusted us with their children. The newspaper trusted us. And even though there was a lot of competition in our hometown, there were daycare centers everywhere. Ours totally ran at full, constantly full capacity. People trusted us with their children. 
There was an editorial written about Sunshine Lane. That's what it was called. And how you could trust and how that children went there also received a biblical education. We wanted a church like that. We wanted a place that we could grow together. In 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 26, though, this kind of put my heart at peace. Read this with me if you would. Samuel grew taller and grew in favor with the Lord and with the people. Do you know what the Lord taught me from that? God's plan for my kids didn't depend upon how good the church was that I went to because Samuel certainly wasn't in a good place. God's plan depended upon my faithfulness to give to God what I promised to give to God. You see, if Hannah and Elkaniah had held back from what they promised to give from God, then God according to what I read in the Old Testament, would have withheld his blessings of his perfect plan for them. We know this because the Lord tells us if we give of our time, our talent, our treasure, we give our story, then God blesses in return. And how many times people come to me who haven't given their family, they haven't raised their family in church, they haven't raised their family to know God, and then they wonder because their church attendance is so sporadic why their children don't love the Lord now the way they do in their older age, and they grieve. You see, this is an important time of life. Whether you're a grandfather, a grandmother, a young mother, a dad, every season of life is important. Be faithful in all the seasons of life. Be faithful in every season. Be faithful in every day. I remember hearing an old preacher say when I was just a boy, he says, the devil never takes a day off and the church can't afford to take a day off. And that doesn't mean we don't take a Sabbath day or rest. It reminds us that we're not in control. God's in control. But it is interesting. Do you remember I told you just a moment ago that in the bleakest time of Israel's history under the heel of the Roman government, listen, for 400 years there had been no word from the Lord. I can promise you, you can never say that from Woodland Church. You have heard the word of God from this pulpit. You have heard the word of God in midweek services. But for 400 years, there had been no word from the Lord. And when God did begin to move, those who should have known did not know. And when they heard, they did not believe. For Jesus says, if we have unbelieving hearts, we will never hear. It is important that we believe and we are faithful to God at all times. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. Somebody say amen. amen. Because when people refuse to believe, they cannot hear. Even Jesus taught us that. But in that bleak time, two peasants bought a boy to be dedicated to the Lord. And we read these words in Luke chapter 2 that Luke took from the book of 1 Samuel. Jesus grew in wisdom and in, stage, in stature, and in favor with God and all the people. I watched Christmas morning. I wish you could have seen our Christmas tree. Our Christmas tree looks so lonely now 
because for weeks it had been piled with gifts and surrounded with gifts and people would come in and look and ooh, who is this one for? Who is that one for? My daughter got a little bit concerned because she kept saying to her mother, she says, there aren't anything, there's not anything coming in from dad. Is dad buying gifts? And dad was buying gifts, but dad hides everything really well till it's time. That tree had multiplied, and then Christmas morning, when the grandsons woke up, it was chaos in the house. There was paper and toys and gifts, and we were oohing and aahing and just enjoying ourselves. I later wrote in my journal and reflected with praise and worship, God, how good you have been. How good you have been to this family, for you were born in a stable. How good you have been to this family for swaddling clothes. They were rags. They were not the fine clothes like you and I are dressed in. Lord, you were born in a manger, surrounded by the smells of a barn that I'm very familiar with and I'm comfortable with, but it's certainly not the place you want to birth your child. Lord, you were born, and then you had to flee to Egypt, and there, in that land of bondage, and here my family is, we're enjoying the goodness of God, and I found myself praying, Lord, I am so sorry to take all of this for granted, but it is though the Holy Spirit pours into my heart right then, have I not said unto you, give, and it shall be given to you. If you will always put me first, I will open the windows of heaven. My son came to bear the curse of sin for you so that you might enjoy the abundant life that I have promised to give to you. (laughs) Hallelujah. Never apologize for the blessings of God. Never apologize for the goodness of God. But never take it for granted and never try to hoard it for yourself. And if so, you will have the reward of seeing your children grow in wisdom, stature, and listen to this, favor with God and with people. If you saw the family photo I posted on Facebook from our Christmas. If you haven't, I hope you'll go look at it. But I look at my kids, and then I see big, gentle Ben standing at the end. I can remember as a child being so sickly. I used to pray, God, let me grow up and let me be big. Let me be strong. Let me grow up to be a Georgia Bulldog. All of my cousins played football. All of my cousins were big, strapping. I'm the smallest one of them all. And I look at Ben, and I'm so thankful for the gift that he is in my life. I'm so thankful, though, that though I never grew in stature, God blessed me with his favor and with the favor of not only the church, but with the favor of others. You see, the Bible says that when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he will make even his enemies be at peace with him. Don't you want that for your family? And then finally this morning, our children need the church. Becky and I did find that church. We did find a church where we could grow and we could worship together. And for a number of years, they traveled with me around the world. For a number of years, we weren't as involved in a church as we would have liked to have been because of my travel schedule. But those were good years as well. But the time came when we knew that our children needed junior Bible quiz. 
The time came when we knew that our children needed all of the various ministries of the church. So Becky and I talked, and those were hard and difficult years as I traveled by myself. Those were years that really led me back to what I'm doing today. Those were years that sometimes my oldest son has said to me, he says, Dad, I remember those as the best years. And I remember them as the hardest years. And he tells me all the things that he remembers about those years. And I think because I miss them so much, I failed to see once again the right side of the tapestry. All I could see was I was away from my family. I was away from Becky and the children for weeks at the time. And I found myself going to the airport and crying from Macon to Atlanta. But my children all the while, they were growing. They were in a church called Victory Christian Fellowship and Assemblies of God Church in Macon. They were growing with a pastor that loved them. And when Andrew went into the military and after he'd finished his basic, that pastor called me and says, I would be so honored if I could join your family to be, for, be there for Andrew's basic training graduation. So he and his wife drove over and joined our family in Fort Benning. I've watched him go through war, have several vehicles blown out from under him. And I've seen the favor of God upon him as God protected him. I watched Christopher, who struggled at first to find what God wanted to do in his life. I remember Christopher was getting old. And I said, son, your best years are getting behind you. Don't you want to get married? He said, I haven't met the right girl yet, Dad. I said, well, Dad will help you. I'm a good matchmaker. There's a lot of people who tell you I'm an excellent matchmaker. But he met a girl, and if I have the story right, at first they really didn't like each other. <clears throat> it's like a typical Hallmark movie, isn't it? They meet, they don't like each other, and then they grow to love one another. Off Christopher went to Nepal and other places in the world to serve God after he finished his master's at Lawrence Tech. Then they bring the child we dedicate this morning. I watched his little Ben, eager and excited, his little boy, go from one interest to another as God has placed upon his heart what he feels like he's supposed to do with his life. And I could go on. You could go on with your family. But Amy, I found myself journaling this week about how she's lived up to her name, Sunshine. By the way, my three boys, I nicknamed Thunder, Lightning, and Tornado, and they all three lived up to their names. But Amy truly lived up to Sunshine. She brings joy into everybody's life. But my children are what they are, not just because of their mom and dad, but because of you, because of Victory Christian Fellowship, because of youth camps, because of mission trips. There is no hope for me if I know my children don't love the Lord. There is no living for joy for me if I know my children are eager for the things of God. It's seeing God's promise of wisdom, 
not just stature, but of favor with him and with others that brings joy. So before I give you your growth work this morning, 1 Samuel 2.18 says, Samuel, though he was only a boy, served the Lord. Would you read that with me? Can we put that up on the screen? 1 Samuel 2.18. Samuel, though he was only a boy, served the Lord. Would you read it again? Samuel, though he was only a boy, served the Lord. One more time. Samuel, though he was only a boy, served the Lord. Would you pray for the salvation of your children? Would you pray for your children's hearts to be turned towards God? Would you pray for your children? They would be so eager and passionate to serve the Lord because they don't have to wait till they're grown to serve God. But children serve the Lord now. So you say, Pastor, how do I do it? Look at your growth work. First of all, receive God's blessings. This week, Chris and Rachel bought us a new coffee pot. Our old one broke down while they were here this week. So we went out and bought us a new coffee pot, and I said, let me pay you for this. Rachel turns around on the stairs, and she says, Dad, freely you give, freely receive. I don't like it when my children rebuke me. I would much rather, listen, I would much rather pay for the pot. I truly would. There's this sense that when you receive, there's a sense of indebtedness. There's a sense of, I didn't ask for that. I, I hope they didn't feel like because we were broken. And I'm not saying that because they're here, but you feel all these things. And I got in the car and I was driving over to the church. And I said, Lord, why is it so hard for me to receive sometime? Maybe you find that true in your life. But when I pray the pastoral blessing over you every week, I hope you receive it. It is not the words of the pastor that blesses you. It's the word of God that blesses you. Before they returned home, Eli would bless Echoniah and his wife and say, may the Lord give you other children to take the place of the ones he gave to the Lord. And that was dependent upon two things. That number one, they would choose the path of blessing that Psalm one, Psalms 1 teaches about. And number two, they would choose to serve Christ that Psalms 2 teaches us about. The second part of your growth work is this. Be a family of prayerful ministry. Serve the Lord together in ministry. Make your children a part of your ministry here at this church. Let them be involved in youth ministries and children's ministries. Let them be involved in the activities, whether we're going on a mission trip or we're serving in the community. When Pastor Corey asked for the teenagers to clean a park or to give in our community, 1 Samuel 1, 27 and 28 says, I asked the Lord to give me this boy and he has granted my request. Now I'm giving him to the Lord, and he will belong to the Lord his whole life. And they worship the Lord there. And if you don't belong to a church somewhere, even if you're joining us from out of town, you need a local church somewhere that you can raise your family in because your church is your part of your answer to God's hope for your new year. I wouldn't want to do life without Woodland Church. And then finally, our word for this coming year, if you'll stand with me. 
Be faithful. Be faithful. 1 Samuel 2, 26, Samuel grew taller and grew in favor with the Lord and with the people. That's not because of the influence of Eli. That's not because of the influence of Hophni and Phinehas. That's not because he grew up in the tabernacle. But 1 Samuel chapters 1 and 2 show us a boy that gave his heart to God. And when your children and your grandchildren give their heart to Christ, it doesn't matter how much of a failure I might be or how much of a failure the church might be, what your children will know is the goodness and the grace of God. You see, God controls the future. So let the Philistines muster. Let other people put their trust in symbolism. Let other people go through the religious ceremonies. Be aware, be salt and light, but keep your eyes upon the Christ child that was born, for he has come to save his people from their sins. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? My Lord and my Savior, Jesus Christ, I thank you for the hope that's for the new year. For every mother and father, for every grandfather and grandmother, for every pastor, for every church, Lord, for every person who puts their hope in you, whatever may happen with COVID, whatever may happen in world events, God, whatever may happen, Lord Jesus, we will live under the favor of God's blessings. We will be like the children of Israel in the land of Goshen. We, Lord, will experience the goodness of God in the land of the living. And so now, if you've never given your heart to Jesus, would you pray this prayer with me this morning? Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for bringing me hope. Thank you for bringing me salvation. I put my trust in your character and in your goodness. I put my trust in your death and your resurrection, and I long for you to come. And while you're praying, why don't you pray for your family right now? Because you may be coming to Christ as a parent. You may be coming to Christ as a grandparent. And pray this prayer with me for your children. And would you pray it with me as well, congregation? Say, Heavenly Father, I ask you to bless my children with a heart that is passionate for you. I ask you to bless my grandchildren to know and to serve you with everything that's within them. And I pray your covenant blessings over my family that no evil or harm shall befall them for you will order our footsteps and all of our ways. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Now may the Lord bless you. May you grow in favor. May you grow in stature, but may you grow in wisdom and in power and grace for the Lord. God bless you. Go in peace this morning.